Formosa Files is sponsored by the Frank C. Chen Cultural Foundation. Frank Chen, Chen Qi Tuan, served as the mayor of Kaohsiung City from 1960 to 1968 and founded the Kaohsiung Medical College. Formosa Files The biggest movie ever made in Taiwan was The Sand Pebbles. It was a huge Hollywood film and a critical and commercial success, and the movie was nominated for eight Academy Awards, but now it's largely forgotten. It was a big production, but it was a troubled shoot. And <laughs> where there's trouble, there's plenty of good material for Formosa Files. So, John, I believe this film is a war film set in China in 1926. A war film, 1926. Yeah, listeners might be wondering, what war? Well, there's a lot of fighting, but this is not really a war. It's the warlord period, and there's fighting between different groups. And the nationalists, the KMT, they're starting to assert themselves uh, under a, a young Chiang Kai-shek. He's, he's expanding his power over China. So the Sand Pebbles tells the story of an independent-minded sailor, Jake Holman, a petty officer machinist's mate, first class. So in simpler language, uh, I'm not up on ship terminology, but in, in simpler language, he, he's an engineer. He's the guy keeping the ship's engine running. So, you know, pretty important dude. And the ship in question is the fictional river gunboat USS San Pablo on Yangtze Patrol in 1920s China. Jake Holman, played by Steve McQueen, transfers to the Yangtze River Patrol gunboat USS San Pablo. The ship is nicknamed the Sand Pebble, and its sailors are Sand Pebbles. Steve McQueen's character, this Jake Holman, he has trouble getting along with the crew, uh, except for a fellow sailor played by Richard Attenborough, and he has trouble following the captain's orders. Hmm. The captain is played by Richard Krenner, but at least he has a nice love interest in the shape of uh, 19-year-old Candace Bergen. She's playing a missionary school teacher. Okay, and the film I think some people will know is based on the 1962 novel of the same name by Richard McKenna. Right. He was a former old China hand, a Navy man who served on the Yangtze patrol in the 1930s, although the story is set a decade earlier. The Yangtze patrol, so the, the Yangtze River, China's longest, most important transport artery, why was the U.S. Navy there, and why was the U.S. Navy patrolling a Chinese river? I mean, if we reversed the situation, wouldn't this be like having a Chinese gunboat going up and down the Mississippi River? Uh, it was protecting American trade interests, protecting them from revolts, piracy, and such, and also the foreign residents who lived in the treaty ports and outside the treaty ports too. So, yeah, we usually think of treaty ports as being on the coast, but there were a couple on the Yangtze River. Right, so we're still in the days of uh, imperialism here. Mm -hmm. Filming on the Sand Pebbles movie began in Taiwan in November 1965. And to give you an idea of sort of the scale of the production, 
there was, as well as a large cast and 32 interpreters, a film crew which numbered 111 folks. And consider this cinema factoid. Until that time, the Sand Pebbles had the most expensive location prop ever constructed for a Hollywood film. This was the ship, the USS San Pablo, nicknamed the Sand Pebble, which was specifically built for the movie. It was a 150-foot steel-hulled gunboat, a replica of a U.S. Navy gunboat used in China in the 1920s. It was built in Hong Kong and cost 250000 U.S. dollars. Phew, a quarter of a million dollars. That's expensive even now. <laughs> Why not buy or just like rent an old ship and paint it or modify it or something? This San Pablo looked like a regular gunship, but was actually quite different. It appeared to be a coal-fired, steam-driven uh, ship, but it was powered by an out-of-sight diesel engine, and it was built to accommodate lights and cameras and other equipment. And importantly, it had a really shallow draft, just about three feet. Three feet? Okay, so let's say a meter. A meter below the waterline. That, that sounds incredibly unstable. Why just a meter? Uh, it was designed for the shallow Danshui River in Taiwan. It had to be shallow to stop the ship from running aground in the river. Uh, though this still actually happened often enough. Interesting. But you said it was built in Hong Kong, so I'm assuming it didn't fly to Taiwan. It had to sail. How, how did it make it? Yeah, it went across the Taiwan Strait, and in bad weather, it was overdue by a day uh, while the anxious uh, film company awaited its arrival. And part of the shoot was in Hong Kong. So after the Taiwan location filming, it was taken back to Hong Kong. <laughs> Amazing it didn't sink uh, on both transits. But uh, let's rewind a bit. So the novel The Sand Pebbles was a bestseller in 1962. And the film rights were bought very soon after that, the author reportedly earning $300,000. Originally, the intention was for Paul Newman to star in the lead role. He was interested, but when he learned it would be shot on location in Taiwan and Hong Kong, he was like, uh, no thanks. So, director Robert Wise's second choice was Steve McQueen. Who was interested and said yes 20th Century Fox, however, didn't think he was a big enough star. So the director and studio argued, and the project was shelved for the moment. In the meantime, if some of you people are thinking, uh, I've heard of this Robert Wise. Well, Wise was the person who made The Sound of Music. That musical film with Julie Andrews and the kids singing, remember? Oh, a deer, a female deer. It was a massive hit. Probably one of the biggest of all time. Wise won the 1965 Academy Award for Best Director. Uh, he won it, actually, while he was filming Sand Pebbles. And more importantly, The Sound of Music made 20th Century Fox a fortune. So Robert Wise, the director, now has, you know, a free hand to make whatever he wants to do. And by this time, McQueen had blossomed into a bigger star. He'd done films like The Great Escape. So the studio was happy to have McQueen headlining the movie, and Fox uh, agreed to pay for McQueen's family, which was his wife, a boy, Chad, five years old, and a girl, Terry, six and a half, for them to uh, accompany him for the entire shoot. 
and they paid to relocate all his equipment from his home gym to Taiwan. And strangely, an entourage of six personal ex-Marine stuntmen. Wow. Okay, so it's November 1965, and Steve McQueen is on his way to Taiwan to film The Sand Pebbles. He must be feeling good with all this star treatment and the movie. He'd read the novel when it came out a few years earlier. He immediately identified with the main character of Seaman Jake Holman. And he also liked the director, Robert Wise, who he'd worked for before. Yes, but he's not in too good an emotional state. His mother had died the month before, a sudden death, which meant he hadn't been able to say goodbye to her. He hadn't been able to mend things in what had been a really difficult relationship. This was going to be a troubled shoot, taking nearly seven months rather than the planned two months, and things got off to a bad start. I mean, a really bad start. Steve McQueen tried to bring a loaded thirty-eight caliber revolver in his luggage into Taiwan. Um, that's a big oh. no-no now and then. The Taiwanese customs were not happy, to put it to, uh, mildly. And, you know, Steve McQueen, he didn't take it very seriously. He just joked about, hey, maybe I'll do some hunting here in Taiwan. But this, this was serious. It's like a, almost a diplomatic incident. And officials from both the U.S. and Taiwan had to get involved. Customs officers got the message from high up eventually, let the American movie star go. This big budget movie production was going to bring a lot of money into Taiwan. And the Taiwanese government, you know, didn't want to jeopardize this. Right. Also, Taiwan was looking for a boost to tourism. The Grand Hotel had been completed two years earlier, and the National Palace Museum opened the same month filming started. And Taipei was becoming a popular R&R stop for American military personnel serving in Vietnam. But back to that incident with the gun. I mean, holy carp. It, yeah. If nothing else, it suggests Steve McQueen had a, a sense of entitlement. It shows a horrible sense of entitlement. And we, we see this again with McQueen speeding on Taiwanese roads in cars and on his motorbike, uh, which he brought over. And for example, when filming began in, I think it was the first day, it was a, a wet, dreary morning in Geelong. Oh, surprise. He's <laughs> running late. He has a driver, but he tells the driver to move over and he raced to the shoot. And his wife wrote, quote, Steve had made the 20 mile drive in 13 minutes. And there was no production time lost, end quote. <laughs> okay, so he's new to Taiwan, new to the road conditions here, and he's just like, well, let's do some speeding. He's lucky he didn't hurt or kill anyone. Dangerous, callous disregard for people. It seems the police had orders to let him get away with it. And as I said earlier, the Sand Pebble shoot in Taiwan and Hong Kong went about four months over schedule, and that's an incredible delay. The reasons for this delay we'll get into later, but it's a real headache because leading actors are booked up, um, you know, ahead. They've got tight schedules for upcoming movies. Frustrating, but at least Taiwan or Hong Kong are not bad places to be spending some extra time, yeah? Well, many of the cast thought otherwise. <laughs> Steve McQueen's wife, Nellie Adams McQueen, she wrote a memoir, My Husband, My Friend, in which she says, Taiwan was the pits. There is no other way to describe it. It was dirty and malodorous. Malodorous. Oh, yeah, that's a fancy way of saying stinky. 
Um, why did she think Taiwan was stinky? Well, the sewage systems weren't that good back then. Flush toilets were, were not exactly widespread. There were still plenty of long drop toilets, um, more commonly known as outhouses. And there's another reason that might surprise some listeners. In the countryside, fertilizer was of the especially mal... How do you say this word? Malodorous. 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 Mm, yeah. So in the countryside, the fertilizer was extremely stinky. And in the countryside was where the McQueens were living. Steve McQueen wanted them to live in their own house rather than stay with the rest of the crew at the very comfortable and recently opened Grand Hotel. And his wife says, our house was surrounded by farmland and came with a Chinese cook and ama, uh, nanny. But she goes on, quote, our situation wasn't all as pastoral as it sounds. Since Taiwan's popular form of fertilizer consisted mainly of human excrement, when the, wind, <laughs> when the winds blew towards us, all the windows had to be shut. One day, Steve took the children bike riding around the surrounding countryside, and for some reason, all three slipped and fell into a recently fertilized rice paddy. I wonder if he was speeding. <laughs> Stay long enough and you'd get used to the smell, which she herself said. Quote, toward the end of our stay in Taiwan, the popular saying among cast and crew was, you know you've been here too long if you can't smell it anymore. <laughs> so Mrs. McQueen says she also felt uncomfortable because of the tense military atmosphere. We have to remember this is 1965. Taiwan is still very much a military-run dictatorship, yeah? She mm. writes... Army trucks continually rumbled through the crowded streets of Taipei and uniformed personnel were visible everywhere. She also remarks that 10 days prior to our production start, a defecting communist pilot crash-landed a Russian bomber outside of Taipei. And if I'm not mistaken, I think you can see this small bomber at the Air Force Museum in Kaohsiung's Gangsang District. Mm -hmm. And there was also some government censorship at that time. She says she noticed that their uh, uh, daily editions of the New York Times would uh, arrive with stories cut out, pages ripped out. Right. So anyway, they're in Taiwan and filming is underway. The locations in the story are cities in China, right? We're talking about Shanghai, Hankou, Changsha, and rivers. There's a very impressive opening scene in the in the movie filmed in the port of Geelong. Uh, it's standing in for the the Shanghai uh, Bund, the the waterfront in 1926. Ah, oh, it's one of the most spectacular wide scenes in the film. All those sandpans and junks in the harbor, lovely. Near Geelong Port, there was Eight Foot Gate, Ba Chiman. A waterway between Heping Island and the Taiwan mainland. People who have been in Geelong might know they've got this little island just, just off the mm -hmm. coast there. And it was used to represent a berth at Hankou, which was then a treaty port on the Yangtze River, you know, back in the day. And today we call that uh, Hankou area Wuhan. And the main story location is around the city of Changsha, Hunan province. Uh, it's sometimes described as being on the Yangtze, uh, but it's uh, on a tributary, uh, the Xiang River. Anyway, these parts were filmed in Danshui, on the Danshui River uh, in northern Taiwan, and the river and surroundings look great. So 
Dan Shui representing Changsha, and uh, this was home for the, all the, the crew and cast for more than three months. So that the gunboat would go out uh, mid-river filming three or four mornings a week. And other locations in and around Taipei were also used. Some old-style countryside areas, then the famous Dihua Street with all those older buildings. Longshan Temple, I think, was also used, and a couple mm-hmm. other city locations. The Sand Pebbles story is okay, but yeah, the cinematography is gorgeous. And of course, there's extra interest for us Taiwan folks trying to guess where the scenes were filmed, and just having an idea of maybe what Taiwan looked like before. Anyway, uh, I encourage people, go have a look what you can see. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool to see what uh, Taiwan looked like in 65. So you, John, you you like the movie? Parts of it. The main character is a bit dull, lacks humor and charm. The man's inner turmoil expressed by silence. I'm not a fan of Steve McQueen, but yeah, he does have a screen presence. Okay. Are you sure you're not just prejudiced against actors in general? You've told me previously, I think more than one occasion, you think actors are greatly overrated. I believe you once said that they were little better than cattle, if I recall Mm -hmm. correctly. And -hmm. you said, you know, in reality, it's the cinematographers, the director, and especially scriptwriters. They're the heroes of a movie. That's correct. But this is not either or. I'm both prejudiced against actors, and I'm also sure McQueen sounds sounds like a jerk to work with. Mm, Yeah, I remember reading something about him like stealing scenes from other actors and other not cool stuff like that. Yep, and worse. On this film, he asked to sit with director Robert Weiss when uh, the director was reviewing the previous day's footage. That would be highly unusual. Yeah. McQueen told Wise he was unhappy about the way he was being directed and uh, also the way he was being lit. And for example, he thought his character, he was playing this Holman guy, was not that verbal. So McQueen thought he didn't need to express himself. Wise gave in to some of these demands to keep him happy, uh, let him improvise some lines and and get this for a time-consuming and expensive solution. The director agreed to shoot scenes two ways. Wow. Okay, so shooting a scene first the director Wise's way, and then shooting it McQueen's way, and he's complaining about the lighting, and he's like, I don't want to talk much. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, this guy. And and, and this is long before digital photography, so it's, it's an expensive film. How much of McQueen's takes, right, his footage actually made it into the final film? Guess. Uh, half? No, I'm not sure, but I think none of it. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) McQueen also complained about the script, and eventually the script writer was replaced. Uh, McQueen complained about his wardrobe, you know, his clothes, really petty things. Yeah, very petty. But McQueen's poor health probably didn't help his mood. He had a really bad flu that he couldn't shake. You can kind of see that he doesn't look very well in the film. And he had a tooth problem that was like abscessed and causing a lot of pain. Anybody who's had that knows it's uh, not fun. Yeah, he refused treatment until back in California. Oh, how condescending to the local dentist. As if no one in Taiwan or Hong Kong was up to the, the job of doing good dental work. What a fool. Mm. 
But who knows? Maybe he thought the toothache was useful. Um, in what way would a toothache be useful? McQueen was one of these method actors, and uh, <laughs> a method actor tries to get inside his character, immerse himself. So the pain of the tooth, yes, Eric, the pain of the tooth might be able to help him connect with the inner turmoil of blah, 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 blah. <laughs> wow, you really don't like actors, do you? <laughs> And so, method actors I, I like less than regular ones. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> Director Robert Wise would later describe the film, get this, as the most difficult picture he had ever made. And he worked with children in The Sound of Music. <laughs> <laughs> but I think one of the main reasons that it was so difficult was probably the location conditions. I mean, the weather was bad as in day after day of rain, because, of course, it's northern Taiwan, you know, Geelong especially. If you go there in the winter, you will get rained on. So anyway, what do you do when it's too wet to do location shooting? Wise did some interior shoots that were originally scheduled for Hollywood. The wives would go for short breaks off the island to Hong Kong or Singapore, also to Taiwan's offshore islands. But the actors had to wait it out sit around and probably worry about the these delays hurting their upcoming projects. Steve McQueen was a keen motorcycle and car racer, and he had his sights set on doing a racing movie. During the filming of The Sand Pebbles, he was absolutely infuriated to learn that he'd missed out on a starring role in a movie called Grand Prix, obviously a racing movie. But he had another racing movie lined up, and the director, John Sturges, actually came out to Taiwan in early March to talk about doing this movie. While the director was here in Taiwan, there was a huge earthquake, the 1966 Hualien earthquake. It struck offshore between Yonaguni Island and Hualien. Not a great omen, and this racing film would have difficulties and was later called off. Location filming wrapped up on March 21st, four months after beginning. Two days later, they were all in Hong Kong. And at a press conference on March 23, Steve McQueen, who would turn 36 the next day, he admitted to the media that he found Taiwan, quote, very trying. Robert Wise agreed in an understated way, saying filming there had been a bit trying at times. As well as mentioning the bad weather conditions, he said there had been, quote unquote, unexpected taxes. Unexpected taxes. Okay, when I hear that, I immediately think um, bribes, but maybe I'm wrong. John, what would this possibly be about? Don't know the details about the specific taxes. McQueen's wife wrote in her memoir, she just said there was a tense moment when most of the film people had been allowed to leave, but not Robert Wise, Steve McQueen, her, uh, and the children, and a couple of other key people. Quote, the government held our passports, claiming that the production company owed Taiwan more tax money. It was a lie, but we paid them anyway. There was no choice. It was a case of pay or stay. Okay, so maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it wasn't bribes. We really don't know the truth behind that. Perhaps it was import duty on things they brought into the country, like all that equipment. Or maybe it was just a roundabout way of getting money for all the speeding fines, which they never issued to Steve McQueen. <laughs> yeah. So a week later, the USS San Pablo, right, this prop ship, turned up in the backwaters of Hong Kong, which were standing in for the lower Yangtze River. 
The film shoot in Hong Kong also dragged on. It was supposed to be weeks, but lasted a couple of months, I think, and then there was post-production work in Hollywood. When Steve McQueen finally got back to the United States, uh, when he got off the plane in Los Angeles, he threw himself on the ground and kissed it. A little melodramatic, don't you think? Yeah. Mm. But fair enough, to a degree. He was exhausted. He needed to rest. He actually wouldn't do any film work for a year afterwards. And of course, when you make a movie, you've got to do promotional work for the movie. So he had to do that. The premiere was in New York in December. Although it was a long, tough shoot, especially in Taiwan, both the director and star actor were proud of the film. It was a a big hit, earned McQueen an Oscar nomination for Best Actor, though he didn't win it. Sand Pebbles was a timely movie. The story was a cautionary tale of American involvement in Asia, so it had enormous relevance for the United States at a time when they were escalating uh, involvement in Vietnam. Hollywood biographer Mark Elliott wrote this in his biography of Steve McQueen. So, quote, After the Sand Pebbles and Steve McQueen's hauntingly beautiful performance in it, his cinematic persona would never be the same. In this, his 16th picture, he would find his on-screen signature. A powerful, attractive, strong, unsmiling anti-hero. To this point, Hollywood had defined what a Steve McQueen hero should be like. After the Sand Pebbles, Steve McQueen defined what a Hollywood hero was like. End quote. So, uh, a tough film shoot, but perhaps worth it in the end. Yeah, Steve McQueen would say, quote, Everything I had ever did wrong on this earth was paid for on that location. But for Mrs. McQueen, uh, she saw a silver lining to the uh, difficulties of the shoot. She said, The experience seemed to make our relationship closer and stronger, possibly because there weren't many female temptations, and possibly because Steve was relatively (laughs) drug-free. Whoa. Relatively drug-free, and not many female temptations. That is uh, much less than a ringing endorsement. Indeed. And her memoir does not show McQueen to be the kind of man we hope our screen heroes are in real life. Well, yeah, we've we've not exactly been flattering him uh, ourselves in this episode, have we? Okay, uh, let's throw the Steve McQueen fans a bone, uh, if they're still listening at this point. Um, <laughs> While in Taiwan, McQueen and Wise donated $25,000 to Father Ed Wojniak, a priest. Uh, This was for a home for orphan girls and homeless young women. Good. So, just a couple of loose ends. Firstly, all the Taiwanese people who had helped make the film and watched it being made with interest, well, they didn't get a chance to see the movie. It was banned by the Taiwan government and never shown here. Yeah. And another guy who never got to see the film was the author of the Sand Pebbles novel, Richard McKenna. Uh, he died of a heart attack in 1964, aged just 51. Wow. <laughs> I'm going to guess that it's safe to say Steve McQueen never came back to Taiwan. Correct. <laughs> okay. If you are a Steve McQueen fan, please direct all your hate mail to John Ross. Uh, we are running <laughs> late here. It's time to wrap up. But do remember to check for mostfiles.com because we always put up pictures and links and John has book recommendations from time to time. So yeah, for mostoffiles.com. I'm Eric Michael Smith. Thanks for listening. 
cut. 